I'd like to show you one more video today before we look at God's word here about the importance of not missing Jesus. Come check out my North Star Christmas tree topper at Levitate's. Is this a gummy bear? Yeah, we lost baby Jesus. Hey, check out these LED lights. I have them synced up to a 76-hour all-Christmas music playlist. There's my little Christmas DJ. <laughs> so, are you waiting till Christmas is over so you can go buy a new nativity set when they're on sale? Huh? No, no, oh no. We lost baby Jesus like 11 years ago. Is, is baby Jesus always a gummy bear? Oh, no, oh, we trade it out every year. Yeah, like uh, last year it was a uh, tiny troll doll. <laughs> and the year before that we used a uh, dog treat. They were the perfect size, but <laughs> Dalton kept taking them and eating them. You mean your dog kept stealing them? No, my son Dalton, he loves those dog treats. Especially the peanut butter ones. There was one year that we used a, uh, a doll head. That was creepy. We, we made a modeling clay, baby Jesus. So the dog took that one too. Um, one year we got desperate and used an ice cube. That was a miss and a mess. Yeah, just seems like everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never lasts. Say that again. Everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never seems to last. And? And what? Say it again, slowly. Why? Just do it, dulcimo, slowly, do it. I don't understand what's happening. Just do it. This is getting weird. Say it! Fine! But when I'm done saying this, you're gonna march in here and you're gonna watch my star levitate. Fine, 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 do it. Fine. Everything we try to replace baby Jesus with never seems to, oh, yep, there it is. Okay, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Well, I mean, those guys are crazy, aren't they? But they're, they're always good. <laughs> Nothing can replace baby Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, this is part two of a little Christmas uh, sermon I had. I started last week, and uh, I want to try to finish it up today. And uh, I want to particularly focus on this aspect of the tragedy of losing the Jesus connection. Um, you know, as a kid, I loved to find one of those uh, highlight magazines. If you notice, this this picture is a is a connect the dot picture. You know, it's a it's a manger scene of connect the dot. But I remember going to the dentist's office, with the doctor's office. Maybe you did this also as a child, and there'd always be one of these on the on the uh, you know the counter or whatever on the on the table, uh, a highlight magazine. This is one that's really old. It's back 1965, I think. But but. Uh, um, I remember going in there with my mother, and I'd, I'd anxiously look at this book, and someone, some kid had always got to it before I did, you know. But uh, they always had, remember the hidden pages, the hidden pictures, you know, that was always fun. But sometimes there was a connect the dot page, too, and you could, and someone had always, and, you know, always messed it up or something. Um, they'd uh, got, gotten to it before I, before I did. But um, uh, there's sometimes... Uh, I don't know, connecting the dots, I don't know if it's a lost art today, but sometimes if you, if you, if you would see a connect the dots, some kid, somebody went to the wrong number, 
you know, and with the wrong number, and maybe then once they go to the wrong number, they go to the next wrong number, and it's out of sequence, and then the picture's all deformed. It's all, it doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense. So that's, that was always a bummer. But uh, connecting the dots, I don't know if it's a lost art today, but no, following the logical sequence of activities or events, because very few people are connecting the important dots of Jesus with all the blessings of life that they are experiencing today particularly in the West, particularly in our country. People don't realize that so many of the blessings we have today, uh, the liberties we have, just the, 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 many, the many things of medicine, the, the, the scientific you know, discoveries, those are a result of Jesus Christ. Those are a result of Christianity. They don't realize that. So many times they want to under they want to do away with Christianity, and it's kind of like sitting on a limb, cutting the limb off that you're sitting on. You know, it's really kind of weird. But um, there was a there was a philosopher by the name of uh, George Santiana who uh, who said this, and you probably have heard this before: that those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. In a speech before the British uh, Commons, Winston Churchill here, this, he kind of took off on uh, uh, George, George Santiano's uh, little phrase here, and he said this, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I tell you, we are living in a strange day when academia and political powers are in denying the very truth, the reality of the past and you know the things that led to some of the tragedies in the past uh, they're wanting to go back to those ideologies again and saying that and denying exactly what they caused particularly in um, you know with World War II World War I World War II some of those some of those philosophies that caused such tragedies and such are the the things that um, that uh, uh, were responsible for the, even the, the reign of communism and, and the death of 20 million people uh, in, in Russia and uh, throughout the communist bloc there. They want to deny those things. But um, it's just insanity, isn't it? It's insanity. Forces today want to push, like I said, Christianity to the far edges uh, of the table, maybe even off onto the floor. But the big question is, is this, and we asked this last week, um, you know what, uh, you might get what you want, but you might not want what you get when you remove Christianity from the formula, when you remove Christianity from culture or from society. We've been looking at the Jesus factor. We've been looking at that. And, uh, you know, what, what if Jesus had never come? What if he would have not, never come that night in Bethlehem? What would life be like today? You know, Paul reveals to us uh, in the book of Galatians, chapter, chapter 4, he reveals to us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And in the Greek, the fullness of time actually means at God's appointed time. That's what that means. When time was just right at God's appointed time, the Apostle Paul reveals to us that, that the arrival of Jesus in Bethlehem uh, back, what, 2,028 years ago was not one of those willy-nilly events, but it was right on time. It was scheduled by God. That, it, you know, it wasn't haphazardly done. It was at our mat, 
as a matter of fact, it's interesting as you look at Scripture, all the events of our salvation are planned on God's timetable. It's really fascinating that Jesus was born on time. Jesus died on time. Jesus rose from the dead on time. It was, it was predicted. Uh, Jesus, matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, that the day of Jesus' return is even on God's calendar. We don't know what it is, of course. But Paul said, because God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, the one who he raised from the dead. Wow. So every part of our salvation is so significant to God that it's, it's, been, it's on the calendar. It's been on the calendar and it is on the calendar. You know, some might say, you know, we can't know what the world was like, um, would be like if Jesus hadn't come. When it, to, a degree, to a degree, of course, that's true. But the one way that we can figure out what life was like or what it would be like today is to go back to the time when Jesus was born and uh, go back and look at cultures just prior to Jesus' arrival and examine the attitudes and the, and the values of right and wrong and we can get an idea of how much Jesus changed society by changing human hearts, by writing God's laws upon the human soul. Jesus claimed this. This is what he said. Remember when John Tinton, he said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I came that they might have life, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Amen? That was Jesus' plan. So his, his purpose is saying is that without me, the thief is here. Without me, the, the only the things that happen uh, that are sinful and evil are going to be taking place. But I've come that you might have life. You might have it abundantly. You know, notice Jesus didn't come that we might exist, simply exist in life, destroyed by evil, but rather that we might experience the goodness of true life. That's why he came, that we might experience the goodness of true life. And yes, uh, actually he says the goodness of rich life. Now I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the riches of what life really, what makes life rich. What, what makes it really rich? And of course, it's, it's relationships with people. It's relationships with God. It's, it's an understanding of, of truth. That's what makes life really rich. Let's take a look here just at the world before Christianity. And I want to read you a letter here. Um, in, uh, on June 17th, uh, in the year 1, 1 BC, a man named, um, I'm going to go back just a second here, um, a, a man named Hilarion wrote a letter uh, home from Alexandria. Again, this is 1 BC, June 17th, this actual letter. We have a copy of this. And he wrote a letter home from Alexandria, Egypt, to his wife, Alice, and, uh, who was living in a, a town called uh, Oxrinkus. And um, a city in the middle of, is a city in the middle of Egypt. And what is fascinating about this little letter is, first of all, it reveals what day-to-day -day life was like 2,000 years ago. And uh, what is more, well, it's more actually than just a letter because it's amazing that it has survived all these years. But in the letter, we learn that Hilarion had apparently traveled to Alexandria for work and he was writing back to his pregnant wife 
to inform her that even though the people he was living with were going to be traveling back to Oxyrhynchus, he was going to stay in uh, Alexandria, and he tells her that when he gets paid, he will send some money home to her. And Hilarion is not wealthy, but he's not particularly poor either. So then Hilarion, in the middle of this, this of making these, these innocent comments to his wife, says something really disturbing that is just commonplace. And let me share this letter with you now and see if you can spot what I am talk, talking about here. It says this, Hilarion to his sister, and a lot of times that's how they wrote to their wives, they called them their sisters, but Hilarion to his sister, Elise, many greetings, know that I am still in Alexandria, and do not worry if they wholly set out, I am staying in Alexandria, I ask you and entreat you, take care of the child, and if I receive my pay soon, I will send it up to you. Above all, if you bear a child and it is male, let it be. If it is female, cast it out. Hmm. You have told Aphrodisius, do not forget me, but how can I forget you? Thus I'm, making, I'm asking you not to worry. So here in this, this compassionate, uh, tender letter to his wife, he makes this comment that if you, have, if, if you have our baby, if it's a male, keep it. If it's a female, cast it out. Hilarion's command to his wife, uh, you know, kind of almost sounds like what you know, Virginia's law that they had there in this in the state state of Virginia, where if a child is aborted and it's still living, just leave it alone in a room, let let it die by itself. Um, but if it's a girl. It reflected a common practice back then, a practice of infanticide among Greeks and Romans, that girls and boys, uh, they did go to work for their family, you know, at young, young ages, but still unwanted girls and infants with birth defects and deformities, they were routinely cast outside. They were just put outside um, uh, to be exposed to the elements or to wild animals. Interesting enough that in the face of great danger, early Christians, early Christians, they would go out at night scouring the cities looking to rescue abandoned children before wild dogs or other animals got to them. In some cases, unwanted children were sold into slavery or prostitution, so there's really nothing new under the sun. Huh? That today's sex, sex tra trafficking is nothing new, is it? But early Christianity, that's, they realized that God, you know, valued human life. And so they would scour the cities trying to find unwanted children, particularly girls who were cast out. Possibly the most probable reason for Hilarion's command to throw out his baby daughter would be because he couldn't afford the dowry that, uh, it, that would be required in order to get her married. But in reality... Um, the world into which Jesus arrived that night in Bethlehem, the killing of unwanted children was no big deal. It happened all the time. Killing unwanted, it was, there, was, there was no law against it. A philosopher, a Roman philosopher by the name of Seneca, and uh, here's a picture of him, and I'm afraid that probably he looked better in real life. I, I, I don't know. But uh, um, a Roman philosopher, a contemporary actually of Jesus, uh, he describes what infanticide is. Uh, um, he said, it's an unnatural progeny we destroy. We drown even, a child, uh, even children who at birth are weak or abnormal. 
It was just a common practice that they did. It was common thinking in Jesus' day to kill deformed children. There was, there was a lot to be worried about in the ancient world. Um, compared to today's standards, uh, life was barbaric and hellish. I know things are hard today, but let me tell you, back in Jesus' day, they were a lot, a lot harder than what they are today. Poverty, sickness, premature death, domestic violence, economic injustice, slavery, political corruption, and sexual perversion and pornography uh, were just so rampant. Uh, these were characteristics of the lifestyle of the spiritual thief that Jesus was talking about um, who came to rob and steal and kill in people's lives. But what was noticeable, uh, what was absent, I should say noticeably absent, were the things that lead to life, that would lead to life, such as the ideas of justice, equality, mercy, democracy, education, protection of the weak. And all this began to change when the kingdom of God came and began reigning in people's hearts. It's amazing how it changed. That when someone really got connected to the Lord Jesus Christ and their life was transformed, they merely went to work in trying to change the bad things in society. Yeah. God's kingdom they couldn't help but express itself living through a person and changing the things that surrounded them, the darkness that surrounded them. You know, again, we know there's a tremendous amount of suffering today, but in Jesus' day, it was much, much worse. It was a world of dark suffering. The gravestones, for example, of ancient days, um, reflected people's hopelessness. Some of the epitaphs that they, they had written on their gravestones just expressed such despair in, in, in facing death. Sickness and disease were, were common uh, and, and shortened uh, the life expectancy greatly. Pagan temples, for example, in Corinth offered healing to sick worshipers if they just believed in the blood from Medusa. Medusa, if you remember, was a, a goddess who had, had hair like snakes, you know, and if you could just get some blood from Medusa, you would be healed. Um, people came for healing for their eyes, their ears, their hands, their feet, all parts of their bodies, and they were hoping for cures for blindness, hoping for cures for, you know, for, for, uh, for deafness and for you know, uh, paralysis, infertility particularly. Now, we don't realize how horrible sickness was in the ancient world. I mean, it's horrible today, but we have so many cures. We have so many things that keep us from, from dying early and where these people did not. And, uh, you know, particularly tooth, tooth infections. Oh, people, they had tooth decay and so many people died from having bad teeth. Um, the pain and agony of going, uh, going uh, through that. On any given day, one quarter of the population of the Roman Empire was ill. One quarter. Um, the, uh, they were about, about one, one third of those uh, born uh, reached adulthood. And many of, the, many of that one third only reached the age of 40. It was a real rarity for anyone to live into their 60s and 70s. And it's, um, and can, it's the wealthy people who oftentimes did that. The longevity of the poor was probably much shorter. But it's not surprising that large crowds followed Jesus. Because he 
was a healer. He offered healing. It wasn't surprising. Sometimes the Bible says the, that the crowds pressed in upon him tightly, like he could hardly walk through the crowd because everyone is pressing upon him. We know the story. We know the account of the woman who had been bleeding, what, for 18 years and had gone to all these doctors who couldn't help her. And a lot of times doctors would take advantage of people anyway. They really didn't have a cure, but they would take their money. And you can see this woman. She couldn't reach Jesus. She couldn't reach him. And the Bible tells us that she was like, she snaked her hand through the crowd just to touch his robe. Because sickness was so, was so dominant. It was such a, a killer. It was so horrible. And she thought, if I can just touch him. And she snaked her hand. And she didn't, he was being pressed upon so tightly. And she touched him and was healed. And Jesus knew it. And because he felt healing virtue go out of him, the Bible says. And, and remember he said, who touched me? And the disciples, what? Everybody's touching you for crying out loud. And Jesus said, no, somebody touched me special. And uh, then, of course, the lady confessed that it was her. And then, of course, you remember the story, too, of the, you know, the account where, the, where Jesus was in a, in a house and he was teaching and, and the, the house was packed with people who were listening. And there was a paralyzed man outside on a cot. And his friends said, there's no way we're going to get in there. So in desperation, they went up to the roof and they began taking the tile apart and they lowered the man down right in front of Jesus. And because he's the healer. He's the only hope, you know, and he, and, uh, and of course he saw their faith and he not only proved that he was a healer, but also that he could forgive sins because he forgave the man's sins as well as healed him as caused him to be able to walk again. So, um, people, again, both wealthy and poor, they were desperate for healing. They sought out Jesus. And church history records something about this, that during the first 300 years, the church expanded greatly because of the amazing healings that took place in the church. That people were desperate and they would come for healing and the church could heal. They pronounced, uh, uh, they oftentimes had healing power in Jesus' name. These healings included exorcisms too. That, that was a form of healing. When, and it was regarded as you know, a miraculous healing. And that was evidenced by the Christian gospel as well. You know, another interesting thing that took place back then is that people, they had a lot, they were religious, but they had a, they followed false gods, particularly the Romans and the Greeks. They, the gods that they worshipped, they didn't love people. Their gods, you know, Zeus and, and, you know, Apollo and all these different gods, they didn't love people. Matter of fact, they hated people. And when they, when people would pray to them, they had to talk loud and they had to repeat phrases over and over again and babble and everything else. And they, the gods were just mean. And they also would permit a perverse lifestyle. But the people of Jesus' day, they had this terrible image of the Heavenly Father because the, the false idolatry, the gods, kind of was influencing them. And Jesus had to teach them, say, listen, when you pray to the Heavenly Father, don't keep babbling on like you're talking to an idol or you're talking to a false god. You're talking to a Father who wants to hear you and wants to reward you. So Jesus was trying to teach them that, that the Father was different than these false gods and that he actually loved them, actually loved them. They also feared the dead. They feared that the dead would come back and, and harm them. 
They feared roving evil spirits. They, they, sometimes Jews would wear these amulets that would contain scriptures in them because they were afraid that evil spirits would harm them. They feared false gods. They were very superstitious. They feared the dead, and they feared curses as well. Slavery was rampant too in, in the Roman Empire. Ephesus was a, a center of this horrendous practice where slaves were sold and they would usually be sold naked. They would strip all the, the slaves down naked <clears throat> so that the buyers could examine their wares, you know, examine these slaves. And uh, um, just like, you know, you buy an automobile, an automobile today, that's what people would do back then. They would buy a slave in the same way by, you know, looking it all over. Attractive girls sold more, and, uh, and healthy boys uh, would sell for exorbitant amounts of money. But in the middle of such wickedness, in the middle of such wickedness, you hear the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel to people who were slaves. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. There was a new mentality coming. That people around Paul, the Roman Empire, as well as even the Jewish people, didn't really believe what Paul just said right there. But Paul was saying, this is Christianity. This is the gospel. That God is no respecter of persons. That everyone is valuable in God's sight. And everyone who has faith can become his child. Again, Paul's word would have been flatly rejected by the vast majority around him, but including even the Jewish people. But wherever the gospel of Jesus went, it sought to lift people up out of despair. It is really amazing. Slaves could be treated or mistreated in any way if the owner wanted. Families were split up sold and re resold as a slave was regarded as quote unquote living property and they were the central part of the Roman Empire. They made up forty percent of the population in the Roman Empire. Poverty was rampant. Romans were very stingy. They were not charitable at all. There was really no such thing as charity in the Roman world. And women were not valued as equal with men. They were expected to not express their opinions and women were considered disposable, especially as infants. Before the influence of Christianity, women were at a great disadvantage. Um, infants, again, were more likely to be cast out or unwanted. Young girls faced sexual abuse. Grown women had no rights and were oftentimes abandoned in their older years if their husbands died. Religion was cruel, unpredictable, and unloving. Slavery was oppressive. Poverty and the economy were oppressive. Super, uh, superstitious fear was part of everybody's life, and life was just downright hard due to disease. And then there's these, you know, we have these scriptures that talk about how that just at the right time Jesus came. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land, the shadow of death, a light has dawned. <laughs> Jesus came again declaring this kingdom of God that it had come. And he brought healing and hope and a message of that God loved them, loved people, and the forgiveness of sins that people might have their peace with God. Amen. He revealed that God actually loved people. That was one of the attractive messages of the, of the, of the gospel in when it was first preached is that God actually loved people. <laughs> now that's a real game changer. People didn't really have an understanding of that. 
today it's almost like that's abuse today. You know, that's not a new thing for people. But when the gospel is first being preached, that was a, that was a new thing to understand that the God, that God actually loves us. And over time, year after year, this wonderful news of the Son of God began changing the hearts and minds of people. The gladiator games slowly stopped. People killing each other for entertainment, for other people's entertainment stopped. A new understanding of liberty and human rights surfaced from, from a new understanding of Christ that all men are created equal. Racism was exposed. The economy grew based upon biblical principles. A sacredness for human life emerged. Abortion and child abuse became unlawful at one time. <laughs> Women were restored to their cherished status and seen as equal partners with their husbands and with men. Slavery abolished. Science and education and medicine flourished. Superstition was trampled un un underfoot as the knowledge of Jesus spread. Wherever Christ was properly exalted, life, yes, deep life came. I came that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. Wherever Jesus comes, wherever the, the true Christ comes, life comes as well. <laughs> Schools, hospitals, charities to the poor and the downtrodden, it's all a result of the baby being born in Bethlehem. One of our big needs is for people to stop and connect the dots. Isn't it? Connect the dots properly and to realize if it wasn't for Jesus, you wouldn't have that hospital. If it wasn't for Jesus, you wouldn't have that college or that higher education. All the schools that we look at it as being superior like Harvard and Princeton, they all started out as Christian institutions. They're not now, but they used to be. <laughs> because exalting the Lord, the Word of God in, our, in people's lives, in young people's lives, was, supposed to, was, was, was known to flourish society and spread the gospel to those who were downtrodden and lost. Look at their original purposes, their original intent. Well, I tell you, we are going to suffer greatly if he is replaced. Society will change, and we may not. We, we, I know we want, we, I know people think they know what they want, but they may not like what they get. Eh? Well, let me close. The evidence speaks for itself. We're much better off because Jesus was born that night in Bethlehem that he chose to die for each of us on that Roman cross to pay the penalty for our rebellious or our rebellion against God in that he rose from the dead guaranteeing a glorious new body and eternal life with God and a founding a movement then that changed the world. And now the world is in rebellion against him and even in the West it's, it's collapsing because we're pushing him away. But he will have the last say, won't he? He will have the last say. He will come. And um, although we sing Isaac Watts' song, Joy of the World at Christmas Time, originally he wrote that song, you know, to talk about not Christ's first coming, although it, it helped, it's, it's okay for us to sing it this time of year. But re-sing Joy, Joy of the World. It's actually talking about Jesus' second coming. How he is going to rule over all the things that are wrong. He's going to put an end to them 
and establish his righteousness here in this world. And that is our, that is our longing, isn't it? That's our goal. That's our next, the next big, big event on God's calendar for us. So let's just keep connecting the dots, everybody, and realize that we have all the blessings today we have because of that baby being born over 2,000 years ago. Merry Christmas to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much that uh, you have uh, shown us very clearly from your word and from history that you can do all things well. That this kingdom that you brought through your son is so magnificent that it, it changes the hearts of men and not just their hearts, but it changes then culture and society and it brings life. Yes, it even brings deep, rich life to this world. We pray, Lord, that as we, as we live now in a time when things are kind of going, they're just chaotic and, and uh, where our people are, have chosen, uh, Lord, ways that are leading back to that darkness, that time of darkness before Jesus even came. We pray that you help us to continue to shine forth the light of Jesus as our only hope, as a hope for our neighbors, hope for our family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.